What is up, Bitcoiners? Welcome to another episode of FedWatch. It's just CK this time. Ansel actually had to bounce out before we could record the intro, but we had an absolutely fantastic conversation with Daniel Prince. Uh, Daniel Prince is a sovereign individual, and he has taken his you know understanding of Bitcoin, understanding of time theft and kind of corporatism and uh, all of this stuff. And he has taken his family and he has broken out of the trap. Um, he is living the life that a lot of Bitcoiners want to lead. Um, and it is really awesome to get him onto FedWatch to talk about everything from his journey from, you know, trading Forex in Singapore all the way to, uh, you know, moving to France and, and uh, moving around the world and taking his kids uh, out of school and doing, you know, know, self-guided learning and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, before we get into it, though, me, Ansel, and Daniel, we are all going to be at the Bitcoin 2021 conference. Daniel is working as hard as to get over the Atlantic to be there. Uh, and me and Ansel are going to be there 100%. But it's going to be an absolutely fantastic event. We're talking about Michael Saylor. We're talking about Jack Dorsey. We're talking about Nick Zabo. We are talking about every single person making moves in the Bitcoin space, everyone who is in North America Everyone who loves Bitcoin coming together in Miami, June 3rd, 4th, and 5th. The entire week is going to be an absolute Bitcoin takeover. And man, I am so excited for all the beef, all the Bitcoining, all the beer. It's just going to be an absolutely incredible, incredible environment. Uh, get your ticket today. Ticket prices are going up this week. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday or Thursday, Friday of this week at midnight Eastern, ticket prices are going up by $100 for the GA and a lot for the Whale Pass. So uh, get your ticket right now. Use promo code SATOSHI to save 10% off. And uh, yeah, see you in Miami. Be there or be square. Let's get into this podcast with Daniel Prince. Bitcoiners, what is up? This is FedWatch here with Ansel, and we are sitting across from the man, Daniel Prince. Um, Daniel is the host of the Once Bitten podcast, and you have you honestly made just an enormous splash into the Bitcoin space pretty much immediately. So um, it's been kind of incredible kind of getting to know you through your podcast. I'm a fan and listener and uh, really excited to get you on to FedWatch to talk about, you know, what you're seeing in the macro sphere as well as Bitcoin, as well as well as just introduce you to our audience. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for the kind words. Thanks for having me on. Daniel, I guess, why don't you kind of uh, give the uh, quick introduction to yourself and uh, how you got here? Yeah. Okay. I'll try and make it as quick as possible. Born and raised in the southeast of England, found my way finally out of the clutches of academic hell uh, that we call um, school and state education and managed to get myself a job in the foreign exchange markets in London at the time. So that was 1995. Fast forward a little bit to 1999, I left the UK and my career took me to the Far East, to Singapore, where my then girlfriend followed me. We, we quickly fell in love with that lifestyle and, and being halfway around the world and you know, seeing Singapore enter this phase of you know, ridiculous growth and being exposed to so many different people, sights, sounds, smells, travel opportunities. What was supposed to be a two-year contract turned into a 15-year stay and uh, marriage and four kids. Uh, before we pulled the ripcord, I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and that turned my head upside down. I'm like, I got to get out of this deferred lifestyle and go and live. So we did. We managed to extricate ourselves, and we took our kids around the world. We, um, we left when they were eight, six, and two three-year-old twins. And we just started traveling with them via the sharing economy. We did that um, with home swapping. So we managed to keep going for as long as we could because we'd put our accommodation costs down to near zero. And before you knew it, we'd been on the road for two and a half years, having the most incredible time, had connected you know, way deeper as a family than, than ever before because you weren't running that hamster wheel of work or you weren't running the hamster wheel of school or ballet or horse riding lessons or tennis lessons, whatever the kids, you know, you get pulled in a thousand different directions. And we suddenly realized that 
that that was the freest would ever be. When you are a tourist in in a country, you you get treated completely differently. Uh, no country particularly knew where we were. You know, Singapore didn't care. We were just an expat family that had been and gone. We were gone. Uh, the UK weren't following us. We'd already been out of the UK by that time for 15 years. And it was just such a freeing experience. Fast forward to, when was it, 2016, 17, we came to France. We spent a couple of months in France, decided we wanted a language. So we made the very hard decision of putting them back in a state school system so they could learn as quickly as possible and which they did we now have three out of the four back out of that system and living life in in rural france at the moment but uh eyes wide open for citadel opportunities or countries uh opening up that are going to be bitcoin friendly and full of bitcoin thriving communities free markets and you know just a, it's gonna happen uh, and i'm just really looking forward to to that point where we can say we want to go there and we want to be with these people and build communities. So you were traveling when you discovered Bitcoin and you know, where does it, where did your discovery of Bitcoin fall in that trip here again? Yes. So we left in 2014 and I'd already had several touch points just by virtue of my job, my fiat career in foreign exchange brokerage. Uh, we knew all about this internet geek money that was being created and was going to take down the bankers. And, you know, it was just, it was so laughable to us at the time that it just got completely, I didn't even, I, I just didn't even look at one article, didn't care for it. It's like, you know, right. Give me the, give me the nutshell. Oh yeah. It's uh, Bitcoin internet money. All right. Yeah. Whatever. Move on. I've got dollars and yen deals to close and I'm busy, you know, AF. And like anybody else, when you're running that hamster wheel, what do you do? You get home, you've got kids to wash and put to bed. You've got a dinner to shove down your neck and then you just collapse into your, you, into your dip in the sofa, right? And that's it. You want to check out and watch a bit of sport if that's on or a bit of a movie with your wife or some kind of TV series. You were not energized to go and learn about this this new currency that was coming over the hill that we all just knew in our <laughs> misinformed minds that it was going to fail and i still remember the headlines on the front of the international herald tribune uh i remember the picture of the um the mount gox uh failure uh, hack and I honestly thought that was the end of Bitcoin. I thought that was the company that was behind Bitcoin. And the CEO had stolen all of the money and that was the end of that. And, you know, there's pictures of people like heads, hands in their heads and crying and want their money back. And I'm like, you guys, this is always going to happen. Had no idea that, of course, that was just an exchange. Had no idea of the decentralized nature of Bitcoin. And then it just kept coming back. And I got to know Grant Williams pretty well in Singapore. He's the co-founder of Real Vision with, with Raul. Um, I didn't know Raul at all. Uh, he was in Spain at the time when they were building the company together. But Greg, excuse me, Greg, Grant was doing all of the Far East interviews. So that's where he would, you know, Jim Rogers lived in Singapore, for example. So he would go and interview Jim Rogers. And we would always be talking about markets and bouncing ideas around. It's like, you know, this is... Like, this is nuts. Like since 2008, how has everything gone up since March 09? Because we were both in markets. He was working at a brokerage firm at the moment, and, uh, at that time, uh, before he had started Real Vision. And like it, none of this makes sense. And obviously he's a huge gold bug. So I started uh, learning more and more about gold, reading his work and just chatting with him over drinks. And then I remember saying, I watched the first ever Real Vision interview that they released with Mark Hart. And I called him up, like, mate, that was just incredible. Like, that, wow, where's that content been all my life? You know, usually you get a minute and a half on school box with, with one of these guys. And, you know, the, the questioning is just terrible. And out of that minute and a half, it's generally equally split between the interviewer and, and the person that you want to listen to. So when they sat down and did a two-hour deep dive with this guy, I was like, more? 
you know, this is this is crazy. He hadn't even talked about Bitcoin, just macro stuff. Uh, and after a few months of of that kind of great content, I watched an interview between uh, Raul and Grant talking about Bitcoin. And I'm like, they, 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 they think something could happen from this. And then they dropped a little teaser. We've got three or four episodes coming up. And uh, guess what, guys? Like Trace was one of them. Uh, he came on. Uh, Wences, uh, Cesares, he was one. Tur de Mista. And uh, I can't remember. There, was, there were a few other guys. And I was blown away. I was like, oh, man, I've been wrong about this thing badly. Um, so I started really deep in, deep diving then, 2014, and took six to nine months to just consume as much as I could before taking the, um, taking a dive, you know, you need a little time to get some conviction. Yeah. You mentioned gold. That was going to be one of my questions is uh, if you were a gold bug before you came in um, I know the Eastern culture, you know, that over there, they, they are a lot more gold friendly and precious metal friendly. So would you, you said, you said you weren't a gold bug when you found Bitcoin. I mean, how much of that was involved how much of your Forex kind of experience was uh, got you prepared for gold and then kind of prepared for Bitcoin, would you say? Yes. So I, I wouldn't class myself as a gold bug, but certainly somebody that was looking for returns on any of the savings that I could, you know, squirrel away because like you, I got a large family. I got four kids. I got to look into the future. So anything each month that I could, bury into an investment that I thought is going to, you know, pay off in the future and, and outpace inflation, whether that was, uh, you know, index funds or whatever at the time, you know, there are all these scammy bastards, you know, uh, circling expatriates in, in Hong Kong and Singapore and Dubai. You had to be very careful. Uh, so gold funds, mining ETFs and things like that, I would get into, um, Actually, in, in Singapore, it's very easy to buy physical. You just, you know, there's a shop in the mall. You just walk into a shop in the mall and they've got, you can buy the, the, the small coins, the 100 gram bars. And they've got coins from all, all over the world, different mints, and the, all the way up to the, the kilo bars. Um, so at one stage, I bought a stack of silver because I thought that was going to um, hold me in good stead safe if he's listening now just be shaking his head (laughs) Uh, but you know i can't question what i did back then because without the knowledge of bitcoin i I figure i was doing all of the right things it's just man did we have the wall pulled over our eyes like so bad and it's just so sickening to me still that you you have financial advisors in air quotes, right? Advisors that are, you know, telling you to do this kind of thing and put in this fund and, you know, chop out of that and rebalance your portfolio and have 20% here and 30% there. And it's like, man, you guys, this is just so... And you ask them one question about Bitcoin and they come back with you some basic FUD. It's like, you are... You're like fiduciary duty is on the floor. I mean, it's below the floor. You guys, you you just, it, it sickens me now. And um, I kind of look back and, and feel a little bit sorry for myself that uh, I, I, I didn't question it harder. You know, I still find myself, I'm still trying to extricate myself from some of these things. They lock you in for like 15, 20 years. And um, last year, that's what I spent doing. It took weeks, months to try and get out of this stuff. And it's all done by snail mail. And there's always an extra fee for this and for that. And uh, it's just, so if anyone's listening younger than I, uh, you know, just, just Bitcoin guys, just, just start dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin. 
Yeah, I'm, I can absolutely relate with that, both on the scamminess of fiat business models, like not just in the financial advising space, but like everything. Hey, you want to get an internet package? Oh, well, you know, you'll save this amount if you sign a two-year contract and use our equipment. Um, like all of it, in, like, no, I don't want that. Like, let me just use my own equipment. Like, just I, give me internet. You know, the one state-sponsored internet, prov- like it's it just, it's through and through. Um, but I kind of want to talk about like, you know, obviously you were primed to understand Bitcoin. You know, you kind of had this education interest in markets, um, talking to Grant Williams. Um, but, you know, it sounds like you really took your family kind of into your self-exploration, both with traveling and uh, and now Bitcoin. Can you talk about like Bitcoin and your family and this kind of idea of like, do they, are they latching onto the narratives? Have they kind of woken up in the same way you have? Yeah, good ob- a good observation. And one thing I've, we, we fell down the, the homeschool, which is not the right word for it. We need to find a better word for that because when you say homeschool, people envisage, you know, sitting your down kid, sitting your kids down at home and you being the flapping head at the front of the, the living room. That's not what homeschooling is. Um, self-directed education perhaps is probably a better word. Uh, we fell down that rabbit hole when we were traveling, obviously, because we didn't have the kids in an education system. And so falling down two rabbit holes pretty much simultaneously was, was pretty full on. And it, you know, obviously I was getting very excited about the, the Bitcoin opportunity because I was seeing it from, uh, yes, from having an interest in markets and I could see the asymmetrical risk. You know, I came for number go up uh, as probably I think all market guys will. Uh, eventually anybody from, from Wall Street will finally latch on to, to that, that metric. They're not going to see the social impact for a long time. It's uh, that, that, that grew on me. And, and when that started growing, I was like, oh man, this is so much more than number go up. This, this is a whole social dynamic paradigm shift that humanity is crying out for and that was wow my god and when when i mixed that with how i'd seen my my kids blossoming away from such a um dysfunctional education system like man like wait a minute (laughs) they're giving us a load of bullshit lies over there and at the same, in the, in the opposite hand, giving us a load of bullshit lies over here. What, what else is not true? And funnily enough, at the same time, because I'd enjoyed the four-hour work week so much, I started, uh, I picked up a few more of Ferris's books. And uh, the four-hour body, I, I think I lost 20 kilos in just under a year by understanding that we'd been told a complete bunch of bullshit as well about our health and about how we should be, you know, feeding ourselves. So all of these three things were going on at the same time. I was just barreling down the the rabbit hole, trying to drag the kids and uh, my wife down there with me as I went. Um, They're they're nowhere near as deep down as, as myself, but they definitely, well, Lauren is co-host of the podcast. You know, she always asks the first question. So she gets exposed to, to all these guys and girls that uh, uh, are willing to come on the show. Um, my wife, she, like she sees now, um, the she sees through the financial system and understands that, you know, what we're doing is, is something that we need to do to set ourselves up for, for the future. And I just hope that my kids can, as long as I'm talking about it every day, which I'm talking about it every day, then uh, one day it will click for them too. And as far as the education goes, I got three out of the four uh, are completely out of that system. They're self-directed on a platform called GalileoXP.com. My oldest one, she chooses to go to the local college because uh, she's 16 and she wants to go and uh, get her 
uh, big exam results and get those certificates and, and hang out with her friends. But they've all seen through the education system as well and see it for what it is. Um, so I'm kind of proud of my daughter that she, she can, she can see that, but she can still go there and get her grades and take away from it what she needs rather than fall down the, just listen to the teacher and whatever the teacher says is correct kind of route. Play the game. She plays the game, exactly. but she sees the game. She sees the matrix, but she's going to be able to take advantage of it. Yeah. The, while you're talking there, I just kept thinking of fiat money, fiat food, fiat education. Um, you know, we have the last 50 years of this gigantic global credit bubble that has ruined culture everywhere and not just mm-hmm. in the United States or in Europe, but culture all around the world is suffering. I think from, from all of this fiat money printing or money uh, pumping. So yeah, I, I, I totally um, connected with what you said. Cause yeah, I do have four kids myself and they are still in the system, but we, uh, I, I have to deprogram them. You know, I yeah. have to get them, you know, prepare them to go to school by, making sure that they are in the right mindset to take on all this indoctrination and not uh, absorb it in the way that most kids do. But um, yeah, that's a battle that uh, I'm facing as well. Christian do you indoctrination have across the nation, right? That's, uh, that's the way I look at it. And you, you, you were saying just before we hit record, you're from the military, right? So you, you must yeah. see the parallels uh, with the military, you know, arrive at the same time, move on the bell, move together, um, you know, uh, allegiance to the flag, um, even class sizes, you know, could it, we could say platoon sizes, same kind of people. Yeah. And they move around at certain times of the day, their day is completely scheduled and it's sit down, shut up, do as I say, and write, uh, you know, turn to page 39 on your book, head down. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that, 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 the system, the way it's designed, I guess, or the way it was originally intended, uh, does foster learning for a very small section of people. Um, but I don't think everybody is meant to go to school, right? I think I'm a big fan of trade schools, you know, go learn to be an electrician or a plumber. We need these people, Mm -hmm. a mechanic. Um, they don't, you don't need to sit through 12 years of school to do that. But for these kind of academics, the people that are kind of, you know, they love to put their nose into a book for hours on end and, and take notes and, and dissect things. Yeah. School's great for them. So, uh, and that's how it used to be hundreds of years ago. Only these academics went to school, the rest of us, uh, you know, learned to trade and stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. So I want to talk about like, you know, we're living on the border of Bitcoin in the fiat world. Um, we've been giving the North American U.S. perspective a lot here. Obviously, I'm in the Bay Area. Ansel is in uh, Florida. So uh, there is a little bit of different perspectives there just based on our experiences on the ground. You are in Europe. Um, kind of curious, you know, what you're seeing on the ground there. Printing. I'm seeing a lot of brrr. <laughs> <laughs> a retarded amount it's it's unbelievable and we have christine lagarde head of the european central bank a convicted criminal guilty found guilty when she was heading the imf like the international monetary fund she went to court they found her guilty of embezzlement of over 400 million euros straight into the uh, a business associate of uh, Nicolas Sarkozy. Guilty. Found guilty. She was up to face a charge of, I think it was 18 months in prison and a 13,000 euro fine. <clears throat> she got neither. <clears throat> Excuse me. She got found guilty, walked away, left the IMF, become head of the European Central Bank. I don't know what more else to say to people other than the game is rigged and you don't have a chance. So you better start stacking sets. All right. I mean, in terms of like the people on the ground, like, uh, you know, there's been scenes of like French uh, farmers like dumping manure on <laughs> yeah. uh, on the streets and taking down light posts. Like, what's the vibe? 
I know you, oh, you you're not necessarily in Paris, but I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, those um, yeah, those pictures are uh, very very misleading actually to actually what I see. And yes, fair enough. We're in a, we're in a rural town, so it's pretty quiet here. But uh, the the amount of Kool Aid that's being drunk here is just unbelievable. It's like you know, I, I cannot believe we have this this group of people here called uh, Le Gilet Jaune, or the or the Yellow Vests, as they get called around the world, who will rise up and riot and cause havoc if. Like the last time they did this, I think just before Corona was going on, it was big news. Paris was ablaze every weekend because the uh, the yellow vests were turning up to fight with what we were led to believe the uh, the gendarmerie. I think, in actual fact, that could have been uh, that they could have just been thugs for hire. Uh, who knows? And but th- what they were doing. They were revolting against the price of diesel going up by five or 10 cents per liter. Right. Paris is ablaze because five or 10 cents per liter. Fast forward a little bit, a few months, Corona's coming down, lockdown, everybody run into your homes, imprison yourself, do not come out for two weeks. Fair enough. Everybody was seeing like uh, what was going on in um, in China and the Italian president. I don't know if you if you guys saw that or prime minister, the Italian guy went all across Europe, begging people not to make the same mistake that Italy had made, and all these dreadful pictures of overrun hospitals and and whatever else. It was a very very strong narrative. But as time has gone on, nobody's questioning. It feels to me like. Zero question. We still have every time you walk into a building here, mandatory mask wearing. Like they're they're on you. Like no one is questioning the fact that you like the, the mask is a thing. All the kids from the age of six, they have them go to school. Six upwards, they're wearing a mask all day long, eight hours a day, four or five days a week. Like, guys. You can't be doing this to kids. This is we're coming into summer now as well. The weather here right now is beautiful. It's like 23, 25 degrees today. I don't know what that is in, in your guys' talk, but you know, it's, like, it's like 70 degrees Fahrenheit. It's so you know, this is nice weather. This is springtime. Poor kids, man. I I, I drive past the school sometimes at, at, at playtime. You see them all out there around they're playing football and they got masks on and i'm like guys like where's the fight against this if you're gonna fight five cents fuel hike you know where's your priorities where's that french revolutionary spirit i don't know how far people have to be pushed around the world i really don't i don't does does somebody have to break into your house and, and hold one of your kids down and jab them in the arm with some kind of serum i don't know like you know is that the point where people like ah this doesn't seem legit anymore well max kaiser says it's a depopulation event and it might have to come to that where you know some people have to pay the price you know what i mean oh man Oh, I'd not gone. I'd not gone that dark in my thought process. <laughs> but um, wow, when did Max about, say that? Oh well, he's he's been saying his what is it? The three Ds: um, depopulation, deglobalization, and there was another one. But uh, yeah, he's saying that twenty twenty one. No, I don't De- think it was deflation. <laughs> I think it was. I can't remember what his other D was, but uh, yeah, he, he's, he's been saying that he was on our show saying that. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, the population, unfortunately, this sounds really bad to say, but you know, the population is one of these fiat things where we've had this huge expansion of credit over the last 50 years and what has happened to the population over the last 50 years, it has also exploded from like 2 billion to 7 billion. So um I don't know if there is some sort of reset, what happens to the global population? We'll, 
we'll have to see about that. That's pretty dark. Maybe we should move on to uh, more bright subjects with Bitcoin. Christian, you have the next one. Yeah, Daniel. So talking about Bitcoin, right? You know, I feel like Bitcoiners are very optimistic compared to people living purely in the fiat world. Like if I was living in San Francisco and didn't have Bitcoin, was working for a tech company like I did before uh, I went down the rabbit hole, like I can imagine I would be extremely stressed out. But here you are, you have Bitcoiners on the internet, jubilant, um, you know, I guess, you know, not fearful. And uh, they're really kind of, sh- I think that they're they're kind of shocking people because everyone is so uncertain and Bitcoiners are confident and convicted. Um, can you kind of talk about like what you're seeing here from like a macro perspective with Bitcoin in the picture and like, how, how are you kind of digesting what's going on? Bitcoin is hope, right? I mean, it's, it, it truly is hope when you can, when you can save that money that you've worked so hard for and, you know, sacrificed your time for, and you can save that in an asset that's going to appreciate over time. That we we all know this, we've all experienced it. You know, safe does a great job talking about uh, lowering your time preference that, that helps you see into the future that, that may, that, that helps you. I remember, I remember the, the time it happened to me actually, because it, it takes a while for this, this feeling to wash over you. And because I had, I'd walked away from my career at the age of 37, it was a big, you know, step of um, faith uh, with the four kids and to go traveling. I, I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of sleepless nights where I would wake up in cold sweats. Like what the hell have I done? I am leading my family into bankruptcy. What was I thinking? And my monkey mind would take over and I would have days of trying to battle this and um, you know, crippling doubt over the decision that you'd made because you just knew the money's going to run out, Dan. It's going to be gone. You cannot live on this for the rest of your life. Are you effing crazy? Why didn't you listen to all those people? You had... You know, if you told 100 people what you're going to do, 99 of them said, don't do that. Like, that's crazy. Are you out of your mind? What are you doing? You cannot walk away from an 18-year career. You've built this. This is how you've got to where you are. You cannot walk away from a salary. You cannot take your kids out of school. All of this. And I would wake up. They were right. They were right. I'm an idiot. And it would take a couple of days before I could kind of like get rid of that fuzz and haze and think like logically, like, right, no, how can I make this work? I've got to make this work. How can I do the digital nomad thing? Can I create a business from a laptop? This is the idea. You know, you want to be location independent above all else. And I want to be able to uh, get some kind of um, revenue stream coming in. And it wasn't until... I would say sometime late 2018 before I even started the podcast and content had been going through the roof. You guys probably remember you were probably part of the wave, uh, you know, all of the articles and some of the podcasts that were coming out, the amount of content that I could suddenly now consume that hadn't been there in 15, hadn't even really been there in 16. Uh, 17 was the crazy bull run. Yeah, you could find some funny memes and stuff, but no one was thinking that deeply, right? Nothing. We had other shit to be uh, celebrating. It was pretty much only Ansel, man. Seriously. like Right. Uh, yeah. he, he was one of the few putting out good stuff back then. Ansel, I wish I'd found, I wish I'd found it all, man. I wish I had. Um, but I remember when it clicked, I woke up one morning and it must have clicked in my sleep. It's like, that's the best sleep I've ever had. Oh my God, that's Bitcoin. That's Bitcoin. That's like all of this anxiety just suddenly washed away and ran away from my my thoughts. And I I couldn't put my finger on one particular article or anything that that helped me come to that realization. But when it did, the, the feeling of calm was unreal. And I hope everybody gets to feel that at some stage too. So, I mean, 
Oh, go. I was just going to say, I remember my aha moment. And yeah, it's, it's something similar to that where um, you just know that the world's going to be okay. And even in this crazy time that we're living through right now, uh, I think that that is extremely important for people. And one reason why Bitcoin is gaining adoption, uh, not just from the big companies putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, but from the plebs out there that are, you know, they, man, Bitcoin is so optimistic. I know gold bugs are finding it at an increased rate now. I mean, I came from the gold bug prepper side of things where I was so worried about, uh, you know, stacking my bullion, my bullets and my bread. And then I found Bitcoin and, oh man, it's just, it's so uplifting and optimistic. Uh, I, man, that's, that's going to what that's what's going to take Bitcoin, I think, to the next level. I get a question. So as a prepper, yeah, when when COVID came around the first time and everybody was locked yeah. down, were you like, told you fuckers, I told you fuckers, this is good. Well, well, I had I had moved to Florida in 2019 and I had to get rid of all my preps. No. So, yep. So I didn't. Move oh, with, I didn't. I mean, I moved with my, I still have a little bit of gold and silver and I have a little, you know, some guns and things, but uh, no. But the all, toilet roll and the yeah. dried food packs. <laughs> yeah. All my secret stashes and my safe and all that stuff I had to leave behind. But no, I, it was easy to fall back into it. I remember watching China in like January of 2020 and I was just like, okay, well, this is what we need to do. We need to get some Lysol wipes. We need to get this and that. And they, it just fell right back into it. I, I was prepared at least uh, to make that mental switch real quick. Uh, but then it took me a long time to get out of that. So I was still like wiping down surfaces with my Lysol wipes for six months time, even though I knew it was like the worst was over. Uh, I was still, it took me a while to get out of that phase. So anyway. <laughs> So I want to kind of build on this, right? Uh, Daniel, you have a lot of experience in Forex, uh, Forex trading. You've jumped into the Bitcoin community and have had incredible conversations with some of the brightest minds in the space on multiple accounts. Um, can you kind of talk about like what you're seeing from like an economics perspective? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Wall Street... They're coming, but they're coming a lot slower than I was expecting. I, I know the... So what's interesting is this dynamic that corporations are leading the charge. I, I honestly thought Wall Street... I thought the banks would be here in a such a big way by now, such a huge way that I cannot believe that they're still missing it. And I still have a lot of contacts there, and I still speak to um, some very prominent guys in, in positions that, that you know running foreign exchange desks and the, the long Bitcoin, right? They're, they're holding, but they haven't had what I was describing earlier. They haven't had that aha moment because they're still doing their, their day-to-day job. And, you know, it's a tough job. Like running these desks is, it, it's, it's an impossibility to be honest with you. It moves so quickly. You know, any geopolitical event can move markets in such a, a, a quick fashion. Anything that comes out the Fed's mouth, you know, can move markets. Any uh, jobs, claims, uh, any data that's released can move markets. They're constantly, constantly watching the the headlines and they're constantly in touch with each other. They get woken up in the, you know, three o'clock in the morning. This just happened in New Zealand. And, you know, if there's a volcano going off somewhere, that's going to move markets. There's an earthquake. Any kind of natural disaster is just... Um, you, you know, you can get wiped out on, on one position. So these guys are very, very highly strung. And like I said, you know, the reason I just dismissed it because I didn't have the time to do the deep dive that, that, that the people I've spoken to that are, that are long is because I just kept hounding the shit out of them. Like, you know, you've got to get some of this. You have to have some of this as an investment portfolio. And the fact that the banks themselves haven't realized the wave of retail that's going to have the interest for services to be offered to them, but it, they've, they've just missed the biggest trick out there, I think. 
because everybody still has a fair amount in tr- of trust in banks in the fiat world. You know, you you guys know what it's like to talk to uh, no coiners or, or noobs or, or pre coiners, whatever you want to talk, uh, whatever you want to call them. It's trying to wrestle away their trust in the bank that is the hardest hurdle to get over. So the trust is still there. If the banks can like you know layer on a service that is it just made it years ago they could have done this to make it easy for the retail market to invest in and interact with bitcoin i cannot believe uh, an etf in the us has not been approved three years too late it's just imagine where we could be Imagine, uh, you know, where society could be. Imagine where the banks could be. They've already started changing, right? Because it does affect everything. And I, I do believe that once, once Bitcoin does get adopted by, by banking companies, by, um, you know, big corporations, hedge funds, whatever, it will change them and their business models over time as well. Uh, we, we've seen this with, I mean, you know, Ross Stevens, newsletter uh, from Stoneridge or NYDIG, uh, an amazing piece of writing. And now we have the Norwegian guy, his, his letter to the shareholders. Unbelievable. You're like, wow, these guys really get it. They are down the rabbit hole. And this is going to affect how they think, how they operate their business, how they, um, uh, rep- uh, how they pay their employees, how they interact with their employees, how they interact with their climate around them, their communities, their cities, uh, their countries. It's just a shame that it all didn't happen a few years ago. And I don't understand. I mean, Jamie Dimon, what a, what a moron. Like, yeah. what an absolute moron. Well, how much damage has he, he done? He was great at yeah, fiat. But how much... He was great at fiat, but he's not great at Bitcoin. All right, let yeah. me jump in real quick. So, I mean, the, it's really incredible seeing these, you know, celebrities, models, athletes, uh, CEOs, all kind of go on their own Bitcoin journey and go down the rabbit hole. It really is kind of incredible. And something that like I've been trying to practice is before I like go and debate someone either on Twitter or on Clubhouse or whatever, I, I just peruse their Twitter profile a little bit. I try to get to know what their existing opinion is. And the reality is I, I kind of want to size up what kind of person they are because I want to figure out, do I even want them to buy Bitcoin? Do I even want this type of person to have the benefit of being on a better monetary system? Uh, so I don't know. I try to do a little screening before I, um, you know, even try to convince someone, uh, you know, to, to change their mind. And I'm glad that Jamie Dimon and the banks that they are stumbling into this, right? It seems like they're being dragged into it, but it, it really is incredible seeing Michael Saylor and, uh, you know, leaders in, in, in the corporate treasury space uh, try to solve problems pragmatically. Yeah. Right. Um, which is a completely different perspective. So I, I was definitely taken by surprise when, when that came out, uh, I, I like I said, I thought banks would be before corporations, but we've got it the other way around, and perhaps for the better because you know, like you know, Sailor, what's he going to do now? He's going to do his best to protect the network as, you know, like as as much as he can, and all of these other corporations that are following in now doing the same. Tesla, um, with these guys, comes huge amounts of influence, and we've never had that on our side, right? As Bitcoiners, we've never had the deepest pockets to defend the network. It's always had to be bootstrapped in the past. Now, if someone comes to try and attack it, you got someone like Sailor or Musk behind it, like, are you fucking doing that? Because we've got this and we are going to protect this. And we've got this bank of lawyers over here that will just, absolutely shred anything that you want to do apart and it's that's what's that's that's been the switch over the last nine months to a year and it's an important one uh, is going to help us drive this thing forward and it really helps adoption huge it's huge news um so what one thing that is kind of worrying are the CBDCs, the Central Bank Digital 
currency token things that they're talking about. And I remember I had a discussion with Michael Saylor and Jeff Booth about this. I wanted to get their thoughts on, on how they were thinking about it. And one thing that came out of that, which has sat with me ever since, is if if they do do that, if the Fed decide to do this, the CBDCs, and directly put your stimmy checks straight into an app on your phone, they're essentially bypassing the banks. And therefore, the banks have just basically lost their whole business model. Like, you know, that's it. Game's up. So what are they going to have to do? This is the beautiful game theoretical side of Bitcoin. They're going to have to change their services and they're going to have to start providing services into Bitcoin because there's a huge market there. Now, it's not just the plebs. There's institutions and corporations and insurance companies and wealth funds. like They want exposure to Bitcoin. Where's the ETF, guys? <laughs> That's what we want. And that will have this trickle-down effect that you know we were talking about earlier. When you start interacting with Bitcoin, it changes, it will change the business models. So the CBDC could be the the ultimate Trojan horse that the game theory suddenly just lights up and, and gets on fire. But I, I like you guys, and I'm of the opinion that this thing is inevitable. So, and Bitcoin doesn't care what's going to happen is going to happen. And it's just, you know, thank you, Matt O'Dell. It's designed to pump forever. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's one of the things we've been saying here is that the CBDCs is the federal reserve or the central bank taking on the banks. And in my mind, if that is the game, the central banks will lose. I mean, they they won't go up against the bank. I'm, look at the Fed. Who owns the Fed? Well, it's it's a you know a bunch of private banks own the Fed. So if the Fed is going to try to fight the private banks, I mean that's an easy easy game theory on that one. So yeah, I think uh, the CBDCs could uh, probably show up, obviously in China and maybe even Europe. They they've been talking a ton about it, but I really don't think the U.S. is going to go down that road. So um, we'll have to see where that goes. Now, I, I loved when you're talking about the billionaires now on the side of Bitcoin, because my dad and my family, they're still, you know, my dad's still a gold bug. And, and he's telling me that, oh, the US, look at what Ray Dalio said, Ray Dalio said that the government's gonna or the US is gonna ban Bitcoin. And I'm like, the richest man in the world is buying Bitcoin. Ray Dalio, and then Ray Dalio isn't in the business of giving people good financial advice. You know, he's, he's a billionaire. He's fleecing the Muppets. That, that's, that's what he does. Um, and so uh, do you think that Elon Musk would get in if he thought there was any chance of a ban in the near term? No way. Same with Mass Mutual. Same with ev- all these big, big names. So, um, well, I, my que- I had another question uh, along these same lines is um, – Going down the macro route, you have a lot of experience, you know, traveling around the world and, and working all, all around the world. Uh, do you see a deglobalization coming where the financial system kind of breaks apart and there's uh, not like we see the Suez Canal kind of disaster that went on? Uh, we see the trade wars between China and the United States. Uh, do you see a deglobalization and, and how does that transition how does that work with a a bitcoin world is this i don't know if i just dropped this crazy question on you but uh what are your thoughts there and i see ck just put in the chats you you got four minutes to answer this (laughs) (laughs) but one thing for your dad as well um the the ted mathis appointment and ny dig i think went really under noticed that's really worth taking a very close look at that because of what he represents for the uh the life insurance um market the whole 95% of the whole life insurance market is going to end up coming into bitcoin and life insurance companies know how to assess risk it's what they do so if they're going to invest into bitcoin that's another great social social proof globalization or deglobalization i don't know man what the hell is going on we have this such rise of nationalism populism going on we've got borders closed here in europe all over the place we can't move 
what like you know be all hiding behind this excuse of covid and you're all gonna die and fall over and the, the you know the aisles of the airport if you even turn up there it's just like what and you know you're not gonna be able to move unless you've got a um vaccine passport and so i i hope that we reach a point where there's just a huge amount of of pushback and all of this falls to the wayside because people are going to want to travel again they're going to want to get out they're going to want to explore and uh you know that being able to do business across borders through out you know marketplaces is essential to to human um you know prosperity so i i hope that um we can move away from this but but who knows right now we we seem to be really really stuck and it's just annoying yeah um it, it is really annoying and and I'm I'm hopeful that we can break out of it uh I am thankful to see bitcoiners on the forefront of pushing back um I think bitcoin 2021 is a great example of this after the super bowl it's the next big event that's happening in the US and thankful for, that the US has some jurisdictional arbitrage uh to kind of uh, you know facilitate um that that to even happen um Daniel I want I I hope to see you at the conference but I I want to give you an opportunity to uh yeah crossing your fingers I want to give you an opportunity to kind of give your last word to our audience and uh tell people where they can learn more about your work yeah, absolutely. We we hope to be at the conference. We have our tickets. We we just hope we'll, we'll be able to travel by then. Um, my my podcast is Once Bitten. You can find that across all the platforms. Uh, Once-bitten.com if you want to head over to the website. Uh, you can learn about me and my family there by following our link to our blog. And my book is there as well. The, the, the book is called Choose Life, which um, basically chronicles everything that um, I managed to achieve by escaping the, uh, the Fiat rat race. Let's go. Amazing stuff. I need to read the book. And uh, I think you're just message and your lifestyle is an inspiration. So um, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to continue to learn more about uh, your brand of life. And uh, yeah, to all of the listeners, you can follow me at CK underscore snarks. You can follow Ansel at Ansel Linder. And yeah, make sure to give us those five stars. Smash that like button hit subscribe all the above peace a quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only you should not construe the information as legal tax investment financial or any other advice Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research. Mm -hmm.